right, good morning, church. Today, our scripture reading is going to be drawn from 2 Samuel, chapter 7, 8 through 17, uh, 22, 24, and 29. And it says this, Now therefore, thus you shall say to my servant David, Thus says the Lord of hosts, I took you from the pasture, from following the sheep, that you should be prince over my people Israel. And I have been with you wherever you went, and have cut off all your enemies from before you. And I will make for you a great name, like the name of the great ones of the earth. And I will appoint a place for my people Israel, and will plant them, so that they may dwell in their own place and be disturbed no more. And violent men shall afflict them no more, as formerly from the time that I appointed judges over my people Israel. And I will give you rest from all your enemies. Moreover, the Lord declares to you that the Lord will make you a house. When your days are fulfilled and you lie down with your fathers, I will raise up your offspring after you, who shall come from your body, and I will establish his kingdom. He shall build a house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. I will be to him a father, and he shall be to me a son. When he commits iniquity, I will discipline him with the rod of men, with the stripes of the sons of men, but my steadfast love will not depart from him, as I took it from Saul, whom I put away from before you. And your house and your kingdom shall be made sure forever before me. Your throne shall be established forever. In accordance with all these words and in accordance with all this vision, Nathan spoke to David. Therefore you are great, O Lord God. For there is none like you, and there is no God beside you, according to all that we have heard with our ears. And you establish for yourself your people Israel to be your people forever. And you, O Lord, became their God. Now therefore, may it please you to bless the house of your servant, so that it may continue forever before you. For you, O Lord God, have spoken, and with your blessing shall the house of your servant be blessed forever. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Hey, good morning, guys. How's everybody doing today? Good morning. So my name is Nathan. I serve as one of the elders here at uh, Pillar. Um, so not to confuse things, we're going to be talking today about a much more significant Nathan than me. So <laughs> don't, don't get confused. They're out. Um, so we're about to jump into 2 Samuel 7. Um, we've been in the life of David over the last few weeks. Um, and so I'm just... <laughs> when we were divvying up uh, how, to, how to do scripture reading, I was given this one. And um, this is like a high watermark. This is one of my favorite passages in all the Old Testament. So I, I'm a lucky guy to, to get to preach on this this week. Uh, uh, Young Jay did such a great job last week. That was a very technical, uh, technical sermon that he went through, a technical passage that he went through last week. So I'm just thankful, before we even get started, I'm thankful to be part of a church that just upholds the Word of God highly. And... Um, and we just do, uh, there's just diligent preaching of God's word week in, week out here. So uh, thank you to Young Jay last week on doing that. He did, a, he did a great job with that sermon. So before we jump in, let's, let's say a word of prayer. Uh, Father, uh, we just come to you. Lord, we're just thankful for your grace in our life. And Lord, I'm just thankful as I'm reading through Hebrews this week. I'm thankful for the, for the gathering of God's people, Lord, that we can uh, press one another on, Father, uh, like you call us to do. And that uh, what a joy it is that we get to do this, Father. I pray that the reading of your word would be, um, would be uh, impactful. I pray you would convict, uh, convict me, Lord, of, of places in my life where I don't trust you like I should. And I pray the same for 
the folks sitting here, Father. And we, um, we pray for, for um, your will to be done today. pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay. So, cool. Thank you, John, for reading that, too, as well. Um, here's the breakdown of, of the synopsis. So there's going to be kind of like two synopsises that we're going to go through real quickly. So the first is we're going to focus in on what 2 Samuel 7 is doing. So 2 Samuel 7, just a synopsis of what John just read. The first, he did not read the first seven, um, the first seven uh, verses there of, of that passage. But in the first seven verses... Um, David desires to build a temple. As you can see up here on the, the screen, David desires to build a temple. He, he goes to Nathan. So this is the first time Nathan's been introduced in Scripture. And um, Nathan's a prophet. And he goes to Nathan. He says, he's a good friend. He says, Nathan, I, I want to build God a temple. God has spent the past generations in a tabernacle that we learned about last week. He's been in this tabernacle. My God deserves a place that's nice and a, and a temple, right? A place to be truly worshipped at. And Nathan says, to begin with, Nathan says, I think that is a commendable idea, David. Let's, let's talk about it. So David and Nathan part. Later that night, David, I mean, Nathan gets a word of, from God, and the word from God says uh, to him, David is not going to build a temple. In fact, his son later on is going to build a temple, and there's a reason why for that um, that you can read about in Chronicles but he says, I've got something for Nathan and for David. He is going to have generations that come from him that are going to be important, that are going to be kingly, that are going to bring, even more importantly, the better and true king down the line. That's the promise that I give to, to David. And that's what the second part of the reading was, and that was the main portion that what John just read was the promise that, that God is giving back to David to say, you're going to establish a kingdom that will last for forever, forever. So um, that's God's covenant with David. And then the last portion is, and we're going to read a couple of little segments from this, but it's just a prayer, a prayer of thanksgiving. And it is a beautiful prayer back to God where David goes before God and he prays back the truth back to God and says, God, you're faithful, you're truthful, and here they are. So we'll take a look at that. So that's kind of the microcosm of what we're doing here. Um, but... Um, here is the, uh, the bottom line. So I've got a friend. I'm not military, full, full disclosure. My wife is, is Navy. So I don't know all the, the talks. The, the, I don't know all the, the acronyms. Um, I am in school with a guy who's a retired Green Beret. And so we exchange papers from time to time. And um, he always says, Nathan, give me your bluff. So I'm like, what does the bluff mean? And he's always like, that's your bottom line up front. So here's the bluff, right? This passage is, is about ultimately... It's about David, but ultimately it's about the king of the universe. The king of the universe coming into the world. That's the bluff. All right. So we're going to do this by zooming out a bit, and we're going to look at the full length of Scripture, the full narrative of Scripture. And I've been contemplating over the last week, like, how does narrative, how does story fit into who we are as people? Um, there's all kinds of research. It's really cool research that's, that's been done on this. So like uh, Lisa Genova, she's this neuroscientist. Uh, she, um, she's done research on saying how, how the human brain is wired to remember through story. So when we hear a story, uh, we can relate to it better. We can hang our memories to it better. We can form, um, we can form meaning that's very important in storylines. 
Um, and she's a secular. I don't know if she's a Christian, but I would, I would say she's probably not. She's probably a materialist, meaning she believes probably not in the metaphysical. But she's relaying this information back. She's studied this stuff. There's also all kinds of study out there that show how families pass down from generation to generation stories and how that's done through, you know, traditions and oral traditions, but how important the story of the family is from one generation to the next to continue on that tradition and that history. So story's important. And I would argue from a biblical worldview that, well, that's because God created us that way. Um, we are part of his story, um, this story of redemption that we're going to get into. And so um, I just I was thinking back through, like, other stories that, that draw us into these things and the themes that come from these things. So <laughs> I, I'm in a household, full disclosure, with uh, my wife, and then we have a little girl too. So it's, it may be desire, but probably mostly just my current environment is my types of stories that I enjoy have, <laughs> have shifted a lot over the last few years. So uh, musicals, musicals, that's felt part of my life now. <laughs> say you can, you can judge for what you want to on it but um people somebody one day somebody asked me he said nathan do you love musicals and i look back i said i love that my wife loves musicals <laughs> so but it is a true true it's it's truly just a beautiful time that i get to spend with my wife she loves watching these stories and so her favorite is beauty and the beast and so Beauty and the Beast is a, is a, if you think about the story, though, it's, it's, it's very much a great story as far as a story of redemption. The Beast, and I think this is why I'm drawn to it so much, is the Beast starts out as such a self-indulgent, selfish uh, being. But over time, you can see as he meets Belle, his heart softens. And um, by the end of the movie, he's a completely changed or transformed person, right? And that's a completely imperfect uh, story to what our perfect story is today, but it's a good example that can kind of bring out why we love that story, because it's a story of redemption. The beast, by the end of that, his heart softened, and he's been, in a way, redeemed, right? So here's the idea. So I go through the story of Scripture. If you can hang with me on this, think of your story. What's your favorite musical or, or insert, you know, drama or whatever that is, and why you're drawn to that, but also you could even think of your own storyline. My, my life and every Christian in here's life is a story of redemption, being redeemed by King Jesus. So be thinking of that as we go through, and I'll, I'll come back to that as we go through too. So 2 Samuel sits in the greater arc of the Old Testament, and it's, it's very important to that too. And when you read the Old Testament, you can't, you can't, you got to hold both things in line. Like you read it where the context is in at that point, but also you got to be thinking ahead to the New Testament, right? So I was like reading in Hebrews this week and you read about this priest called Melchizedek and we're not going to go down the line of Melchizedek, but, but the point is, is the, the authors of Hebrews are pointing back to something important in the Old Testament. So there's this constant pointing back or looking forward with both Testaments. They go together. We, we have a single book and a single story. So, here is, um, here's our big truths that we're going to try to get to as we look through this. All right. Our truth number one is God reveals truth in his story. Big truth number two is God's story for his people is protective, eternal, and relational. And then our third point is God's story points to Jesus as the greatest redeeming king. God's story points to Jesus as the greatest redeeming king. Okay, so 
Let's jump in. Look at, we're going to look at some covenants, and then we'll land for a second there on 2 Samuel 7. So it's almost like what I'm attempting to do here is I grew up going to Six Flags, uh, and there was this one particular roller coaster that was an out and back. And when it first got there, I think it was called the Viper. It was terrible. <laughs> it was a bad ride. It was broken in at the time. But it was shot out really fast, and it did the circle, and it went up to the top, and it slowed way down. So that'll be 2 Samuel 7. We'll slow down for 2 Samuel 7. And then we'll speed back up as he comes back into the finale of the ride, back into the station, okay? So just imagine what we're trying to do as being that. Everybody good with me? All right, so we're going to get shot out first by looking at the first movements of God's story. So truth number one, God reveals his truth in story. God reveals his truth in story. Remember, keep your story in mind as we go through this. So first off, God's story. Who's the main character of God's story? Jesus, it's God. And so sometimes um, we have a terrible, um, I would say even an, an infection and in sometimes in Christianity to where we want to elevate humanity. And by, by doing that, we de-elevate God. God is the center of his story. All right, let's don't forget that. God is the center of his story. And we see this at the very beginning in Genesis 1.27. Um, he establishes his first Covenant, his first promise with his people who are important to his story. We are important. We are his, and this is why, part of the story. So God develops his story through a series of covenants. And so, um, and so as we go through these things, um, just kind of keep that in mind. But, but God is the main character. And so we know he's the main character because in, in Genesis 127, he said, God created man in his own image. In his own image, he created man. Male and female, he created them. The important point we, we see in Genesis 1.27 is God created man in his own image. Meaning that even after the fall that we'll talk about in a second, you, me, all human beings that have ever been born, not just look like the image of God, we are the image of God. We, ex- we are part of, we are the image of God, meaning that we exude his glory to other people around us. It's not perfect anymore, but we exude his glory. We're made in his image. And not only that, when God creates, we can see his story in creation. I love how Psalm 19, uh, 1 and 2 says, the heavens declare the glory of God and the sky above. It's almost like he's speaking, right? Proclaims his handiwork. Day to day pours out speech and night to night reveals knowledge. We can see his story even in creation. We can see his character even in creation. My wife and I just took a trip to Kabira, I mean, I'm sorry, to Ishigaki uh, Island. Has anybody been to Ishigaki Island? Yeah, it's awesome, isn't it? It's like a really laid-back island. It's a lot less populated than here, and it's absolutely beautiful. And somebody said, you've got to see Kabira when you're there. And so Kabira is this, this bay, and I was thinking, like, man, we live on a beautiful island. There can't be places that are more beautiful than even Okinawa. And, uh, man, I'm glad we took that 30-minute drive north because we stood out on this bay, and I was there with my wife and little one, and we looked out over this turquoise bay, and we looked up on the mountains behind it. And there's a little farm nestled over here in the corner in the valley, and I was just in awe because I could see God's handiwork, his speech being poured out in that creation right there. It was part of his story, right? We can see it in creation. All right, so he does that, and he, he creates this story through humanity's chief end. So our chief end is to glorify God 
and enjoy him forever, right? Or as 1 Corinthians 10.31 says, so whether you eat or drink, whatever you do, do it for the glory of God. He also establishes his promises through covenants. And this is what I just talked about, a covenant. And some of you guys, have some of you guys heard the, the term covenant before? Probably through negative maybe things when it comes to like housing and HOAs and those kinds of things. Uh, but it's a very good term in the Bible. So covenant means in the Bible, it means as a theologian, uh, Wayne Grudem says, it's a covenant is an unchangeable, divinely imposed legal agreement between God and man that stipulates the conditions of the relationship. So covenants are unchangeable, they are divine, and they are legal. So we can only have two choices when it comes to covenants. We can accept them or reject them. Um, and, and, and in this case, um, I would just get ahead of myself here. We're never going to uplive. We're never going to fully uh, deliver on our side of the covenant. Okay? But God always will because he's faithful in these things too. So God offers promises through his Old Testament that we're going to build on. So there's covenant here, covenant here, covenant here, and they keep building on one another. So keep that in mind as we go through. So we're still going to be very quick here. Um, so here's the story of God's covenant. The first covenant is God creates, and this is his story as well. So the first opening line of who we are as, as creators is God creates. He creates the earth, he creates the animals, he creates the heavens, and then lastly, he creates humanity. And this is the Adamic or Adamic or Adam's covenant, basically, is what it is. So Adam's covenant in Genesis 1 28, he says, And God blessed them. And God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply, and fill the earth and subdue it. And have, and this is really key, hang on to this, have dominion over the fish of the seas and over the birds of the heavens and everything living, every living thing that moves on earth. And God said, Behold, I have given you every plant yielding seed that is on the face of the earth and every tree with seed and its fruits. You shall have them for food. And then Genesis 1.31, this is part of the story. God creates. And then Genesis 1.31 says, And God saw everything that he made. And behold, it was... Anybody know what he finishes out with right here? And behold, it was what? It was very good. It wasn't just good. It was very good. And so there was an evening and there was a morning and six days. So when God created, he created us, or he created human beings, he created the earth, and it was very good. We had perfect relationship at that point in time with God, and it was, a, um, it was, it was good. And then comes conflict. So think back to your story. Is there conflict in your story? Is there a time period when things aren't going the way they should? Is, is the, an enemy steps in and makes things take a turn for the worst? And in this case, humanity does the same thing. And there in Genesis uh, 2 and 3, or Genesis 3, we can see uh, in 2 that, that humanity falls. They're, they're duped by Satan, and they partake of a, of a tree that, that God rightly gives them good boundaries to not eat from, and they, and they do these things. And we see them fall away, and sin enters the world. Brokenness enters the world. All right, pain and suffering enter the world at this point in time. But I love this. This is like, this, there's foreshadow. So this is almost takes me back to like 10th grade English class, like foreshadow. But there is. There's a hint to what's going to come in here. And it's in Genesis 3.15. It's called the Proto-Evangelium. It's hope. You can see hope from the very beginning. 
And so in our story, an offspring from the woman will crush the head of the serpent. So an offspring from Eve, the first woman, will come and will crush the head of the serpent. So we're going to pick up speed here a little bit. So then next we have, after Adam's covenant, we have the Noahic covenant, which is Genesis 9. So Noah um, was sovereignly pulled apart from, from the rest, his family and him. Uh, the world at that point in time was very wicked, and God... Um, and from that, there was consequences. So God destroys the earth through the flood. But he promises to Noah. He says, Noah in, jo- Noah, Noah in Genesis 9, I am not going to destroy the earth again with water. And something that's often lost in what uh, Genesis 9 says also, he also reaffirms that even after the fall, even after brokenness enters the world, that you, me, all humanity is made in the image of God, where our purpose is to glorify God and who we are. Next comes the Abrahamic covenant. So we're layering it on, right? So the first one was Adam's covenant. He created, things were, were good, and now it's broken, but, Adam, but he still calls Adam to be fruitful and multiply, all right? Subdue the earth, have dominion over the earth. Then we have the next one up, which is, which is the Noahic covenant. I'm not going to destroy the world again through water. The next one up is the Abrahamic covenant. And God pulls apart a man sovereignly out of a country of pagans, and he gives him a new land to live in. And in this new land... He tells this Abraham at the time, I'm going to give you a land of, of, of people, of, 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 much, of, much, um, of much number, many numbers, descendants as many as stars. And these people are going to be a showcase people for God. They're going to showcase my glory to the world. And Abraham believes these, believes in God, rightfully so. And it's what the Bible says is counted to him as righteousness. He trusts in the faithfulness of God, and ultimately he trusts in that a coming redeemer will make things right for his people. Okay, and then lastly is the Mosaic Covenant, which is Romans, I mean, I'm sorry, which is Exodus 19 through 24. So Moses, this is the last layer is, uh, before we get to 2 Samuel 7, Moses is given um, a covenant with God, the law. And so the law, we have some different thinkings of it today because we're not under the law anymore. Jesus came and he fulfilled the law. But the law gave Israel, the showcase people that came from Abraham, good and righteous boundaries to live their life in. And eventually, um, Paul tells us that the law is, is good. In fact, he's, he's almost upset when you, when you make claims to say that the law is not good. He said, no, 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 the law is good. It's a mirror to show us our sin in Romans 7. The point is, though, today is we don't have to strive through trying to complete the law in ourselves, that we can look to Jesus because Jesus fulfilled the laws and we can rest in him without having to fulfill those laws. Okay, cool. So now we're to 2 Samuel 7. Is everybody in good shape? Okay, cool. All right, so again, let me walk through very quickly what 2 Samuel 7 is doing. So we're back to 2 Samuel 7, and the first portion of 2 Samuel 7 is uh, David is wanting to build a temple to God, a tabernacle to God, a, a true temple, and uh, Nathan eventually says, no, God doesn't want you to do that because God tells him that. So then we get into this covenant that is established with David. So we're going to hang out mostly in the covenant that is established with David, God speaking back to David through Nathan. Also, too, this is just a kind of a teaching thing, is when we think about prophets in the Old Testament, um, here's a good way to think about it, and this is the way it was explained to me. So I, my wife and I took a trip out west for the first time in the U.S. Um, back a couple years ago. So I'd never seen mountains like 12, 13,000 foot peak mountains before. And those things are, if you're from like the East Coast, like I am from the South, it's, um, 
you just don't see mountains that big. So I'm not used to driving out west, and you're on these high plains and these mountains that are off in the distance, and you're like, man, those things look like we're going to get there in like five minutes, and you're still driving an hour later, nothing's changed. So everybody know what I'm talking about? So, so, but as you get closer, eventually you see those peaks separating, and you realize those peaks that look like they're right there next to one another, when you get closer to them, are actually miles and miles apart. And that's the way we need to think about prophecy as well when we read the Old Testament. So in the Old Testament, um, when we see Nathan talking, Nathan has in mind these different points and peaks, but he can only see so far. Um, but he's also talking about those first peaks, which are Solomon and, and some of those kings that are going to come right after David, but also those peaks that are going to be far off eternal that we'll look to when it comes to Jesus as well. So uh, think about the peaks as we kind of go through this. So big truth number one when we get to, to 2 Samuel. This is the big truth for number one. So our first big truth was God reveals truth in his story. God reveals truth in his story. The second point that we'll look at for verses uh, 8 there in 2 Samuel and following is God's story for his people is protective, it's eternal, and it's relational. God's story for his people is protective, eternal, and relational. So we're going to slow down for just a minute, for just a couple more minutes here before we speed back up again. So, a good way to read scripture is to look for the characteristics of God that you see in that scripture. So in this case, we're going to look to what and pull out what we see God saying back to David and the characters of how he's described in this. So point number one, God's story is protective. God's story is protective. And we see this in verse nine. And I have been with you. So this is God's story protects not just Israel, but David. God's story protects David in particular. So in verse 9, he says, And I have been with you wherever you went, and have cut off all your enemies from before you. And I will make, that's important, make for you a great name, like the name of the great ones of the earth. So I love that first word, wherever. And oftentimes as Christians, I think we get hung up with... uh, uh, the mistakes of, of, of where we're at in life and kind of physical space. So Craig Bartholomew, this, he's a theologian, writes on this. He says, we often don't take for granted uh, our placement. So God places us in a place. So I will point you a place for my people. So um, we are placed here uh, among uh, other believers in this case right here. There is a reason that you today are sitting in this chair in Okinawa, Japan, because God placed you here, Right? And a lot of times, materialist people that have a worldview that's not Christian, maybe they don't believe in, 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 in the, the metaphysical, they're going to say, you're just space. You're just taking up space. You're atoms that are here. Man, God places you where you're at. Secondly, God protects David. He elevates his name. He, he gives the history. Uh, he, 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 and he even says this in 2 Samuel 7. He said, I took you from being a shepherd and I made you into a great king. He survived killing a giant. He survived Saul pursuing him, these things that we've talked about. And now he's become king. So David's only choice here is to turn and trust God. Secondly, God's story protects Israel. He says in this, and I will appoint a place, and there's that word place again, place for my people of Israel. And I will plant them. God had a purpose for them. 
so that they may dwell in their own place and be disturbed no more. And violent men shall afflict them no more as formerly. He makes Israel a showcase people. And I reflect on times when God protects me, his Holy Spirit comforts me in sadness, convicts me of sin, assures me that even though I mess up and turn, I turn back and I trust him and he holds me. He comforts me in my constant striving, which oftentimes that's, that's sinful in my constant striving because I'm, I'm relying on my own will and not the will of God. But there's resting in his protection. I love how John in John 15 talks about abiding. So John says, and this is, in, this is Jesus talking, Jesus says, I am the vine and you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him He is it that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. We abide, and out of the abiding, the abiding comes the obedience, the fruit. So John talks about that right here. So let's look back very quickly, and we're going to read through this quickly, but I want you guys to get the point on this. So when we look to this and who's protecting, protecting Israel, we see this here, and I want to ask the question, who is doing the protecting? Who's doing the acting here? So as I read back through this, notice the eyes or the lords that are listed here. So the eyes are, are, are God talking, okay? So in 2 Samuel seven ten through 14, he says, And I will appoint a place for my people of Israel, and will plant them so that they may dwell in their own place and be disturbed no more. And violent men shall afflict them no more as formerly from that time that I appointed judges over my people Israel, and I will give you rest from all your enemies. Moreover, the Lord declares that you are the Lord will make you a house. When your days are fulfilled and you lie down with your fathers, I will raise you up and your offspring and, and after you and who shall come from your body and I will establish his kingdom. He shall build a house for my name and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. I will be with him, be to him a father. He shall be to me a son. Church, God doesn't need us. He does the acting here. And there's a flip side of the coin we're going to get to in just a second. But we see this even with, we see this even with David asking about the temple. God says, I don't need you to build me a temple. I just need you to be faithful. I'll worry with building the temple. And by the way, later on in Chronicles, we, we learn too that that God calls that commendable, that David, what David's desire to build the temple is commendable. But at this point, the point is, is he's wanting to hold back. And here's often where I go wrong in, in waiting on the protection of God and trusting in God and resting in God. And again, there's nothing inherently wrong with what I'm about to talk about. This is just personal things that I get convicted about and possibly you guys can relate to these things too. But is it another trip to Africa or to name the country to India or wherever that might be to walk the Psalms and to speak the, the, the name of Jesus to, to children that may have never heard of Jesus? That I think that I'm in control of doing these things, that, that that's good work because I'm doing these things under my own power? Is it another discipleship group to join, just to join? We must die to doing Christianity on our own power. How are you resting in the Lord when it comes to obedience? Are you trusting in his protection in these things? I, I, um, I've got a lot of spiritual fathers and like, spiritual mentors in my past that have poured into me and 
Um, but probably my most, uh, probably my most uh, influential um, is a pastor at our last church that I served on staff at that, man, every, every Monday was just a, a joyous time for me. It was a time that we, we met at a local Chick-fil-A in Johnson City, Tennessee, and we had uh, chicken sandwiches. But we spent the first 30, 40 minutes before we talked ministry, and we just got in each other's lives. And um, probably the thing I take away most from Mike Warren is him saying, Nathan, busyness does not equal righteousness. Busyness does not equal righteousness. So believer, if that's your case, if, you, if you're striving under your own power, man, rest in the Lord. Rest like he calls Israel to rest in their protection here, that God calls Israel to rest and David to rest. And even we see this too, and we're not going to read the scripture, but it's up here. But in Acts 1, 4 through uh, 5, we see, uh, we see that, that even after the apostles get, um, even after the apostles uh, have the good news of Jesus Christ, they're told to wait. They've got the greatest news in the world, and they're told to wait. Don't go speak about Jesus yet. Wait for the coming of the Holy Spirit. So are you waiting on the Lord? So here's the flip side of the coin, though, guys, is we get to join in his kingdom work. We get to join in his kingdom work. So don't be apathetic. So some of you guys need to hear, like, you need to rest in here today. And some of you guys are saying, like, man, you've, you've got to be faithful in these things, but you've also got to step out in obedience and trusting the Lord in some stuff. I love how Peter says it in 1 Peter uh, 1.13. He says, therefore, preparing your minds for action, be sober-minded, set your hope fully on the grace that will come, that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Prepare your minds for action, right? That's what Peter calls us to. Joshua, choose this stone who you will serve. Paul, in Philippians 3.13, he says, But I do not consider, brothers, that I have made it my own. But one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind, but straining forward for what lies ahead, I press on towards the goal and the prize of the upward call of Jesus Christ. The resting again is the upward call of Jesus Christ, but Paul presses on, right? So, where do you stand on that, that balance there? It always starts with, Resting in the Lord, and out of the resting comes our obedience. Point number two in this section is God's story is eternal. So 13 says, he shall build a house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom. What does it say right there? How long is the kingdom going to be established for? Oh, man, it's not up right now. Forever. Forever. So hang on to this thought, and we'll come back to it, okay, at the very end of this sermon. Point number three is God's story is relational. He shall build a house for me in my name, and I will establish the throne of the kingdom forever. And I will be to him a father, and he shall be to me a son. This is our reality today. See, he establishes this, this, this relationship with David. He says, I'm going to be a father to him, and he's going to be a son back to me. And I go back to Romans 8. So Romans 8 is one of the most beautiful chapters, beautiful truths of what Christianity is. If you've never read it, I would commend you to go home and study Romans 8. But in Romans 8, 16 and 17, Paul says, The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs. Heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we may be also glorified. Because we are his children, we share in his inheritance. Man, that's just hard for me to wrap my head around some days. God calls me 
And because I'm his child, I'm a, I get to share in his inheritance. So ending this section in this last section of 2 Samuel 7, these are the truths that we looked at. God's, uh, God is protective towards David and Israel. God is um, eternal towards David and his in his in Israel, and lastly, um, God is relational. So eternal, protective, and relational. And David, out of this, coming out of this, turns to worship. I, I love reading prayers in the Bible because they they model so well how I should pray as a believer. And often I get it wrong. So if you want a good prayer to model yourself after and how to pray back to God, this is a good portion. So in the second, the last section there on um, on Second um, Samuel seven, starting verse twenty two. It's just David praying back to God. So the first part, he, he prays back to God that he's the one true God. Therefore, you are great in verse 22, O Lord God, for there is none like you and there is none, no God besides you according to all that we have heard with our ears. He's also eternal and relational. Eternal and relational. Back to, he's praying this back to God. You are eternal and relational. And you establish for yourself your people, Israel, to be for people, your people forever. And you, O Lord, became their God. And lastly, he prays back to God, you are trusting in protection. Now, therefore, may it, be, may it please you to bless the house of your servant so that it may continue forever before you. For you, O Lord God, have spoken, and with your blessings shall the house of your servant be blessed forever. This is a great model prayer. So the last big truth that we'll look at today, and this is us speeding it back up again. Remember the roller coaster, the viper? So we're at the top of the hill. We're going to pick up speed, and we're going to come back to the loop and back to the station. So we're going to end pretty quick here. So big truth. The last big truth is God's story points to Jesus as the eternal. God's story points to Jesus as the greatest redeeming king. God's story points to Jesus as the greatest redeeming king. So remember, go back to your story. Mine was Beauty and the Beast or your own personal story. And think of these things as we go through this. So 2 Samuel 7 says, The kingdom of the citizenship is offered for all mankind. So this citizenship, this kingdom is offered to you, is offered to me. And we read this in 2 Samuel 18. It says, Then King David went and sat before the Lord, and he said, Who am I, O Lord? And what is it, my house, that you have brought me thus far? And yet this was a small thing in your eyes, O Lord God. You have spoken also of your servant's house and for a great while, um, for a great while to come, and this instruction for mankind, it means all mankind right there, award God. So this is for all of mankind. So what happens after David? And many of you know this story. Israel, God's chosen people. Remember, he protects, he re, he's protecting Israel. He's brought them out of, uh, he's brought them through Abraham to be multiplied and to be fruitful and, and, and to be as many as the stars. Israel, God's chosen people, Continue to choose sinful kings after David. And we'll learn even next week or the next couple of weeks, David's great sin that leads, to, that leads to a great downfall of David in many ways. He's not the perfect king. And out of this, within two generations, we see the kingdom of Israel splitting. We see Solomon and then Solomon's son splits the kingdom into Israel and Judah. We have two, we have brokenness in the kingdom. But all along, the prophets continue on. So we see people like Isaiah. Now, I love this. So Isaiah says, Isaiah 11, 1, he says, There shall come from a shoot from the stump of Jesse, and from the branch in his roots, uh, and a branch from his roots shall bear fruit. 
there shall come forth a shoot from the stump of Jesse. Any kid in here, like you can get this from your parents too, but any kid here know who Jesse is and who Jesse's child was? Nobody? All right, adults. David, okay, thank you. Man, I taught middle school for a while. That was kind of rough. You just kind of sit there and wait for the awkward silence. Although middle school teachers are really good at waiting in awkward silence. So. <laughs> All right. So what happens after David, you may be asking. So we, we talked about the prophets. Um, and, and, and Isaiah is still going to be uh, faithfully proclaiming, Israel, turn back from your ways. But still Israel and Judah turn to wickedness. And eventually we see that they're going to be exiled. They're taken by the enemy and to live in another land that's not the land they were promised because they're unfaithful in these things. There's consequences for their sins, but God still sovereignly chooses his people, Israel, to showcase his glory through. And so we see this over and over and over, and we still have faithful members of the prophets. All the prophets in the latter portion of the, New, of the Old Testament are still continuing to say, Israel, turn from your wicked ways and back to, back to God. He's your chosen God, and you're his chosen people. And then we get to the book of Malachi. And then we have 400 years of silence. I don't know, that was about 20 seconds of silence, guys. It was awkward, right? It's impactful, is it not? 400 years of silence from not hearing from God. 400. And then we get to the book of Matthew. And we get to Matthew 1. Which, as a young believer, I thought Matthew 1 was like one of the most boring chapters in the Bible. It's a list of genealogies. It's 14 groups of, it's three sets of 14 people listed out. Who wants to read about a bunch of names? But it's one of the most important books in the Bible. Because in it, we see the line that leads to King Jesus. And in it, we see the faithfulness of God through David. Matthew 1, 6 says, And Jesse there's Jesse again, the father of David the king. And David was the father of Solomon, the wife of Uriah. So David's there in the genealogy, just like God protected, or God, God said he would be. Then we get to Luke 1.30. And the angel said to her, do not be afraid. This is the angel talking to Mary who just, had, who just is having, uh, about to have Jesus. And he says, do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, and he will be great, and, we will, be, and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give him a throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and his kingdom there will be no end. Jesus then goes on to be the redeeming king over sin. And if you don't know anything about Christianity, guys, Jesus eventually goes on to, uh, to have a ministry, and he eventually uh, goes on to, to sacrifice his life. He's both full of God, 
fully God and fully man. He sacrificed his life on the cross for your sins and my sins to take the penalty of our sins. And he's raised from the dead. And he goes back to live among the Father. Jesus offers redeeming salvation today as king if you trust in him. That's the key point if you trust in him. So that's not the end of the story. We're almost there. But if you don't know the full story of Christianity, Jesus is coming back again to defeat sin and to reign for eternity. Remember back to Genesis 1 where we talked about. Genesis 1, everything was good. Creation was good. God said, you have dominion over these things. Go and rule these things. And then it was brokenness that came after that through sin. King Jesus is coming back to make things good. He's already inaugurated his kingdom now. We're in it. You can, you can trust in his kingdom and join his kingdom today, but, but, but eventually he's going to come back and make things all good. There will be no suffering, no, no, no tears. Um, there will be no pain once Jesus comes back. And, and I love this. This is, this is our hope, guys. This is back to what First Peter was talking about when he said, set your hope to Jesus Christ, right? Set your minds to action, and our hope is in Jesus Christ. In Revelation 5, 3, um, he says, and no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth was able to open the scroll or look into it. So this is a picture of heaven. And we see Jesus opening this scroll, and this scroll is the deed to earth. And in it, into it, and I began to weep loudly because no one was found worthy to open the scroll or look into it. And one of the elders said to me, weep no more. Behold, the lion of of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has conquered so that he can open the scroll and its seven seals. And then Revelation 5 continues. He says, and I heard every, every, the key part there, every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and in the sea and all that is in it, in them, saying to him who sits on the throne and to the lamb be the blessing and the honor and glory and might forever and ever. And the four living creatures said, amen. And the elders fell down and worshiped. That's the reality of the future kingdom that you can join if you're part, if you trust in Jesus. And in a sense, we can join this kingdom today. Second Timothy, um, Paul writes, the saying is trustworthy. For if we have died with him, we will also live with him. If we endure, we will also reign with him. And it doesn't mean in a sense that we're going to reign like a God, but it means that God gives us good dominion over the earth again and that we can give him all the glory he deserves. So I return back to the story, right? Go back to your story. Go back to your story of, for me, it's the beauty of the beast. The beast is redeemed at the end, right? Is there redemption in your story? And there's redemption in this story. This is the greatest story ever told that we're a part of if you trust in Jesus. So here's the big ideas. Remember, the story of 2 Samuel 7 is the story of King Jesus coming into our world. And so the application of that is Number one, our protection and rest is in Christ the King. Have you turned to trust in his protection and rest in Christ? Have you turned to trust in his protection and rest in Christ? Number two, our story is eternal with Christ the King, if you trust in him. Do you place your hope in the assurance of the eternity with Christ? I love how Paul says it. Paul just gets straight to the point in Philippians 1.20. He says, to live is Christ and to die is gain. Our story is relational is the last one. Our story is relational with King Jesus. Are you communing 
abiding and resting with the king. This is the big story of Christianity, and I pray you're part of it. I pray that you placed faith in Christ, and one day we'll get to sit around the throne of the true and better king, Jesus. Um, if you haven't done that before, you're new to, new to what Christianity even looks like and have questions about that, I'd love to talk to you after the service uh, and explain all this even, even more. But um, that's the truth, friends. How are you resting and abiding in Christ this week? Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for your word. I pray that it cuts us, like you talk about in Hebrews, Lord, that it cuts to our marrow, Father, that we can trust in you and abide in you and rest in you and know that you protect us because you hold us. Father, I pray for changed hearts this week and that we can love and trust you even more. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.